right, so we are learning today Pei Gimel in Masach Psachim. We are one, two, three, four lines from the top, uh, from the wide lines, rather, on Pei Bet Amud Bet, uh, where it says, mm-hmm. So we said there was a machloket, whether, uh, basically, if the, if the invalidation of a korban occurs in the korban itself, there's something wrong with the body of the korban itself, it's, it's tamay, or it, it left the building, or something like that, so then it could be burned immediately. But if what happened was extraneous to the korban itself, in other words, you have a situation where the, uh, the owners died, uh, they, or, or something like that, so then what happens is that according to the Chachamim, it doesn't make a difference. The, according to the Chachamim, rather, it, it's, uh, you, you have to leave it over so, until it becomes no tar, so it becomes, uh, there's some intrinsic invalidation uh, in the Korban itself. And according to, uh, but according to uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Boka, he said it doesn't matter. The bottom line is there's nobody who's going to eat the, this Korban Pesach, so it's Pasul. So the, the bottom line is it's an obsolete Korban. So we don't care whether it's obsolete because it became Tameh or it's obsolete because the people who are supposed to eat it became Tameh. Either way, it's obsolete, so let's burn it right now. According to Chachamim, no. If there's something wrong with the Korban, then we burn it immediately. But if there's something that had happened to the owners, so then we, uh, we don't uh, burn it immediately. We have to wait till the next day because by the next day, then it becomes the korban becomes pasul, and then we obviously can't burn it on Pesach. We have to wait until Cholamoid. So the thing is like this. So that's the discussion. So now the Gemara says, uh, under what cases, under what circumstances does this machloket, this argument, uh, relevant? So Amar Rav Yosef, machloket shnitnua when is this machloket pertinent? It's only when the balim became tamei after the after the completion of the blood service. In other words, it was applied to the altar. Because there was a moment that actually the korban was good, and then the balim, then the owners became tamei. Okay, so that's when uh, that's when the machloket is irrelevant. But according, but in a case where the balim, the owners became tamei before the blood was even thrown, that means there was never a moment that this korban was worth anything because from because the balim were already tameim, the owners were already tamei before the blood was thrown. So there was it never had a chance this uh, this korban. So therefore, we could burn it immediately, even according to Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka. But the Gemara asks, maybe they raise an objection. It says that anything, any case where the problem with the Korban is intrinsic to the Korban, it's burned immediately. But if it has to do with the blood, or it has to do with the owners, you have to wait, you have to leave it overnight, and wait until it becomes notar, and then you can burn it. So, what's interesting here is that it mentions the two cases where you have to leave it over to the next day. It mentions blood, and it mentions the owners. Obviously, any invalidation that occurs to the blood occurred to it before it was applied to the altar, because after it's applied to the altar, we don't care what happens to it. So, too, when it talks about the Balim, when it talks about the owners becoming uh, Tamei, it means even if they became Tamei before the blood was thrown. In other words, it's not true that the rabbis would agree that you immediately burn the Korban Pesach because the owners became Tamei even before the blood was thrown. Even if they became Tamei before the blood was thrown, that's not anything wrong with the Korban, that's something wrong with the owners, and they would still say you have to leave it over to the next day. We must revise what Rav Yosef said because there's no way he would say something so obviously wrong. Rather, the Machloket is actually the opposite. The Machloket between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokai is when the Balim became Tamei before 
the throwing of the blood. Such that, that's why Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah says that you burn it immediately because since from the moment, from its inception, that Koban was no good because the, the owners were already Tameh before the blood was even thrown, that's where he says you should burn it immediately. And obviously there, even there, the Chachamim say you wait till the next day. But according to uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah, in a case where the uh, in a case where the um, the baalim were originally uh, you know were 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 teorim, they were they were pure when the blood was thrown and only then uh, did they become tamei they became tamei afterwards so then even Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah will agree that you have to wait till the next day in order to burn it because he'll say that since it had a moment of truth where it could have been actually valid and then the owners became tamei so that's not anything intrinsic to the korban even Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah is going to agree that's not something intrinsic to the korban but when the Baalim were tamei before the blood was thrown then he'll say that's like from the moment that the korban came into existence it came into existence invalid so that's, that's in a way intrinsic to the korban the rabbis disagree with both cases. They say in both cases you have to wait till the next day in order to burn it. But Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah would distinguish between where the korban, when it's in, in its execution, was already invalid, because the owners were already tamay, versus where the balim came tamay afterwards. Okay? But Rabbi Yochanan disagrees. Now this is not Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah. Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah is a tana that appears in the Mishnah. Rabbi Yochanan is an Amora that appears only in the Gemara. Okay, he was an early Amora, but he was still an Amora. Now he says, Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan says, I disagree. I think that even if the, if the, um, the, uh, the, the owners became Tamei after the throwing of the blood, even there, Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah says, you can burn the Korban immediately. Because the fact is that there's no use for this Korban. Why do we have to wait till tomorrow to discover that there's no use for it? It's already, there's no use for it. In other words, he's saying like the simple reading of the Mishnah, that no matter what, uh, in any case, if the if the if the korban if the people became tamei, whether they became tamei before the korban was brought, whether they became tamei after the korban was was offered, it doesn't matter. The fact is, the korban has no function, and therefore it's going to be burned immediately, according to Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah, and according to the Chachamim, you wait till the next day. Now, Vazda Rabbi Yochanan tamei, and Rabbi Yochanan is consistent with what he said elsewhere. Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah, Rabbi Nechemia, because because he said that Rabbi because Rabbi because Rabbi Yochanan said Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah, Rabbi Nechemia, Amud Davar Chad, that Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah and Rabbi Nechemia said the same. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah had damaran. That's what we just said before. Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokah meaning the idea that if the if the owners become tamei, the owners become incapable of partaking of the korban. So that renders the korban invalid and can be d- destroyed immediately, even though there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the korban. Rabbi Nechemia, he what's the case of Rabbi Nechemia? The Tanya, Rabbi Nechemia Omer, Bepnei Aninut Nisrofazo Lekach Nemar Kaele. Right. So it's this is talking about the case of Aaron and his sons. Why they burnt the chatat. And actually, it was Rosh Chodesh. It wasn't Rosh Chodesh Adar. It was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. But the issue was why they burnt the Chatat of Rosh Chodesh, and it was because they were uh, because they became onanim, because they became uh, mourners. As that's, it's actually a machloket in Masechet Zvachim. What the reason was, but here it's taking Rabbi Nechemia's view that the reason is because they had uh, they were uh, they because of aninut because they weren't allowed to eat the korban in a state of aninut. Now they were allowed to eat korbanot in a state of aninut if they were what's called kochesha'ah. They were the special korbanot that were once in history, like the ones that were dedicating. The Mishkan, that they were allowed to, they were given permission, but something that was going to be the Korban of Rosh Chodesh, that's every month, that they weren't allowed to eat. That was Aaron and Moshe have the dialogue there. He says, oh, how could I eat it? It wouldn't be right. That's where how Rabbi Nechemiah understands it. Now, he says, now this Aninut is kil It's like after the throwing of the blood. Now, Rashi says, it's not le'achar It's not that they became onenim after 
the uh, after the blood was thrown. That we're not saying. We're saying that it's like after the blood was thrown. Meaning because since they were allowed to throw the blood, because a Kohen is allowed to be makriv onin ve'in ochel, the halacha is that a Kohen, gadol, a Kohen Gadol is allowed to complete the service when he's in onin. He's just not allowed to eat from any korbanot. So he would be allowed to complete the service. But now when it comes to eating it, because they're oninim, there's nobody to eat it. And yet he still said, burn it right away. So you see that even though there's nothing wrong with the korban itself, you're allowed to burn it right away because the people who could eat the korban are not available. There's nobody who can eat it. So that show, that's like what Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca is saying. That since the uh, people who are not allowed to eat the korban are, uh, you know, F, F, there's nothing wrong with the korban itself. The korban was allowed to be brought, but they're not allowed to eat the korban afterwards. And uh, it's similar to a case where the, the owners became tameh after the blood was already thrown. Meaning if they knew that the owners became tameh before the korban Pesach was done, they wouldn't do it. Here, even though they knew that they, they, they were, they're tameh, they were uh, on any, they were allowed to do it. And yet afterwards, they're not allowed to eat it and they burn it right away, even though there's nothing wrong with the korban. There's only something wrong with the eaters, right? So you see that that's, Rabbi Yochanan is linking Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka's view to Rabbi Nechemia's view, that we burn it right away, right? So he says, we burn it right away. Right, so that so you see from that uh, uh, that Rabbi Yochanan is interpreting the, the, the view of Rabbi Yochanan ben Brokan, Rabbi Nechemiah is the same. That if they're the eaters of the korban cannot do it, then the korban is immediately burned. Now we turn to Pegil Amud Aleph. Rabbah says, you know, Rabbi Yosef Glili's view also intersects here and 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 uh, overlaps with this because the Daniel says in the bright Rabbi Yosef Haglili. So what is Rabbi Yosei Aglili talking about here? He's talking about a pasuk that we read on the previous daf, which was, It says that any chatat that the blood is brought into the Kodesh has to be burnt. And we interpret, the rabbis interpret that pasuk as meaning that any chatat that's not supposed to go into the Kodesh and the blood is brought into the Kodesh or the Kodesh of Kodeshim automatically becomes something that is Pasul and therefore has to be burnt. Okay, Rabbi Yosef Glili is saying, no, it's talking about the Korbanot that are supposed to go in there. There are some Korbanot, a few Chataot, specific Chataot, that the blood is supposed to go into the Kodesh and the Kodesh of Kodeshim, such as the, what's called Parhelim Davar Shel Tzibur, the, the, uh, the Chatat of the community that commits a sin, or the Parim and the Sirim of, of, uh, of Yom Kippur, they're supposed to go in there, right? So that Pasuk is a reference to those, uh, those cases, right? And he says this extra language, now we already know... <coughs> That we're supposed to burn those chataot because the Torah says we're supposed to burn those chataot. So why do we have to have another pasuk that tells us that? The answer is that if it becomes tamei, right, you might say, oh, basically these korbanot that are supposed to be burnt from the beginning, these chataot of Yom Kippur or the chataot of the Helem Davar Shel Tzibur, they're going to be burnt anyway. So if they become tamei, it's the same thing, right? If, they, if they're tahor, we burn them. And if they're tamei, we burn them. The same thing. Right, so he says no. Actually, ironically, it's reversed. That if they are if they are good, if the korban chatat doesn't become tameh, we burn it outside the Beit Hamikdash. Right, that's what they do with the korban the korban of, of Yom Kippur. They burn those chatat outside the Beit Hamikdash. If it becomes tameh, we burn it in the Beit Hamikdash. Meaning that it's it's actually reversed. It's ironic, but basically it's it's downgraded, so to speak, to the level of a regular chatat, where a regular chatat would be burnt in the Beit Hamikdash. It doesn't. If you burn it outside, it's you're treating it the same as its uh, normal state. But anyway, that's how Rabbi Yosef Glili interprets that pasuk. Now the the thing is, and he says, and veliten lo to tell you that there is a negative. Commandment on any someone who eats such a korban chatat, one of these korbanot that became tamei. Obviously, in general, there's a uh, 
there's a, a prohibition of eating uh, korbanot that are tamei, but it adds a uh, lota sehir. So Amrullah, they said to him, But what about the halacha that everyone agrees upon? That if you take a regular chatat and you bring the blood into the inner sanctum of the Beit HaMikdash, it becomes tough, it, it ruins the korban. Where do you get that from? So he said to them, no, that's from a different basuk. Because what did, Rabbi, what did Moshe Rabbeinu say to uh, Aaron and his sons when he criticized them for burning the, chat, the korban in Parashat Shemini? He said, you did, the blood was not brought into the, into the Kodesh, so why are you burning it? Right? Implying, Miklal de Nafiki, implying that if it were to have gone in there, Inami Aildama, or so in other words, if the korban went out, of its designated area, right? We learned before that that was what it referred to. It referred to two things. If the Korban had left its area or if the blood had gone into the Kodesh, then one of those two things, Bisrefa, you would have burned it, right? So now what is the point of bringing this? The point of bringing this is to show you that Rabbi Yossi Aglili is telling you that if the blood... You would say, well, the blood going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim is not really uh, the same as something wrong with the, the Korban itself. Because up till now we've been discussing the, the Korban became Tamei or the flesh of the Korban left the building. All of those are called intrinsic psulim, intrinsic invalidations. But the blood going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim is not an intrinsic invalidation. You would say that that's something else. And, and yet he still says you burn it immediately. He doesn't say leave the meat over until it becomes notar and then burn it. He says burn it immediately. So Oh, he must be in the same camp of uh, he must be in the same camp of rabbis that say that if the, if a korban is effectively invalid, it doesn't matter whether it's because of an extraneous thing like the owners became tamei or the blood went into the kodesh kodeshim, or whether it's something intrinsic that the that the meat itself became tamei or left the building. It's all the same thing for Rabbi Yosei Aglili, and you see that he says to burn it immediately. So that's what Rabbi is saying. He's saying Rabbi Yosei Aglili is from the same school of thought, and he'd probably agree with Rabbi Yochanan ben Borka that if the owners became tamei. At, what, on the day that their Korban Pesach was brought, that he burn it right away because what does it matter what the reason is why this Korban is invalid? It's a useless Korban, right? So the, the answer is, but then why didn't Rabbi Yochanan bring that example? Rabbi Yochanan says, no, blood becoming invalid, invalidations related to the blood are the same as invalidations related to the meat of the Korban. That's all called intrinsic Psulim. Those are not psul, that's all psul shib, that's all, all saying it's a it's a uh, psul that's of invalidation that occurs in the body of the korban whether it's the blood of the korban or the body you can't call that that's not the same thing as the owners of the korban becoming tamei that the blood of the korban went into the kodesh or the kodesh or kodeshi is an invalidation that relates to the actual substance of the korban itself it's the blood and not the flesh but still right so therefore he says that Rabbi Yosef Lili is a different thing Rabbi Yosef Lili might agree that if the owners became tamei that's called extrinsic that's not intrinsic and therefore since it's extraneous it will you have to wait till the next day or two days in this case to burn the korban but in the case of blood going in that, that's a totally different story that's that's part of the substance of the korban and that's why you burn it right away okay so in either case that's the that's the machlok of Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka and the and the other chachami whether we burn the korban immediately when the owners become tamei or not now the next mishnah says what about the bones and the sinews and the notar, the leftover meat of the Korban Pesach, is sarful, the shishasa, they're burnt on the 16th of Nisan. Why not the 15th? Because you can't burn it on Yom Tov, as the Gemara will explain at the end. Now, these are the things that were not eaten and they're not, and they're left over. Chal Shabbat, if the 16th is Shabbat, in other words, er, er, that meaning to say, that Pesach fell on a Friday, right, which, uh, which doesn't happen nowadays, 
the first day of Pesach to fall on Friday. But if it did, yeah. But uh, but in theory, but but they, but yeah. But they didn't have that back then. So they had Yom Kippur on Friday and, sh- and Sunday too, right? So so uh, if it fell out that way, so then you would burn it on Sunday, the seventeenth. We don't push off Shabbat or Yom Tov to burn the leftover Korban Pesach. So even though it might seem like uh, something you're supposed to do right away, it doesn't break Shabbat. Now Amarav Mari Bar Avu Amar Biyitzchak Atzamot Atzamot Kodeshi. Right, so if you have bo- bones of korbanot, so he's making a general statement that then the Gemara is, gonna, uh, is going to attack from various different angles. But basically, the statement is that the bones, in other words, if you leave a korban past its designated eating time, some korbanot have a one-day deadline and some have a two-day deadline and some have a one-night, like Korban Pesach has only one night, but most of them have either a day in the following night or two days in the night in between. That becomes notar. When it becomes notar, it's prohibited to eat it, and of course it's Isur Karet to eat it, a very serious uh, a prohibition to eat it. But the question is, what about the bones of those Kodashim? Because the bones contain marrow. Some people like to break open the bones and eat the marrow inside. Now the Korban Pesach is a unique case because you're not allowed to break open the bones of the Korban Pesach. You're not allowed to break the bones. Right? So, that, so that's what the Gemara is going to get into. But in a regular Korban, since there's Notar, there's, let's, you know if you left the meat of the Korban over, it has to be burnt because it's called Notar. But what about the Atzamot? What about the bones that contain the Moach? They have the, they have the, the, uh, uh, they, they have the marrow inside. So what do you do with that? So he said, since it became a base for the notar, he says, first of all, that's a rabbinic tumah. Whenever it says it's mitametayadaim, that means only midirabanan. There's a tumah associated with notar. It's not really tamay because it's not, and there's nothing wrong with it. It was just left over. Right? So it's, uh, but it's, it's not really tamay, but it's an, it's a, the bones themselves will become a source of tumah because they are a base for the notar. That's what he says. So he's basically saying that the bones that contain the marrow of notar is the same as the, as the, as the notar itself. Now it says, Nema misayele. Here's the source for that. Here's the basis for that because it says, Because we just said in our Mishnah that when it comes to the Korban Pesach, the bones and the, ma- and the sinews and the leftover meat are all burnt. So you see that the bones are burnt. Now, what kind of bones are we talking about? So, if you're talking about bones that don't have any marrow inside, so, Lama bisrefa. Why do you have to burn them? They're just pieces of rock, right? They, they, they don't have any, they're not edible, right? Why would you burn it, right? So then you could just throw them away, Nishdinu, throw it away. We're obviously talking about bones that, contains, that contain marrow. And if you're going to say that whatever's inside those bones, the bones take on the identity of what's inside. So therefore, when it's notar, the marrow of notar is inside. When it's korban pesach, the leftover korban pesach is inside. And that's why you have to burn it. So that makes sense why we'd have to burn it. But if you're if you're going to claim that the fact that it contains notar or contains marrow that is, that is prohibited to eat doesn't change the status of the bone. So, why do you have to burn it? Not birinu, right? We could just break them open. We could take out the moach, the, the marrow inside didu. We'll just, we'll just take the marrow out and we'll throw the bones away. In other words, what does this show you? It shows you that the bones themselves become like the notar because you burn them. If you, if it were just about the marrow, so extract the marrow and throw away the bones. Why do you have to burn the bones? You see from that that the very fact that the bones contain this marrow makes the bones themselves have a status that is prohibited and they have to be burned too. 
Now, Amrei, they said, no, not necessarily, because maybe I'll, I'll dispute that, and I'll say, no, the fact that these bones contain marrow that's prohibited doesn't change the bones. Right? That, uh, that the thing is, he holds at the Pasuk that says, when it says, Right? It says about the Koban Pesach, do not break a bone in it. Bo. So what is it? So what is the uh, what does it mean? Bo bekasher vafilu bipasul. Meaning normally we say bo means only when the Koban Pesach is kasher, you have a, ru- a, a rule that you can't break the bones. But if it became pasul, what difference does it make you break the bones or not? He's saying no, but maybe we're holding here the reason why you have to burn the atzamot of the Korban Pesach on the, in this Mishnah is because we, the, the author of this Mishnah maintains you're not allowed to break the bones of the Korban Pesach even if it's pasul, meaning even after it gets left over, you're still not allowed to break open the bones. And therefore you can't take out the marrow that's inside. You could only destroy it by burning it in the bones, not because of the bones. Not because the bones, but because you're not allowed to break them, then you need to destroy the marrow, so you have to burn. Right? And who is the one? And you're telling me, uh, you're, you're telling me that even with a pasul, that, that even a Koban Pesach, that is pasul, there's still a rule not to break its bones. We learned that if you leave over the meat of a Koban Pesach that is tahor, or if you break the bones of one that is tamay, you don't get punished. Now, in the case of the leaving over of the, uh, of the one that's good, that's because it's lav shein bo it's not an action. You just left it over, so you don't get makot. In the case of the, uh, in the case of the tamay, it says breaking the bones, you don't get makot, because it's, uh, once it's tamay already, what difference does it make you break the bones? But it says, it depends. If the korban pesach was at one time tamay, this is talking about where it was never good. It became tamay before the blood was even thrown. So therefore it was never good. So therefore it never really had status of Korban Pesach. So therefore it never had a prohibition to break the bones. But if the Korban Pesach was good and later on its sum is left over, you're still not allowed to break the bones. And that's why you would have to burn the bones because they actually have the moch inside and you're not allowed to break them. So then it says, Who's the one who makes this distinction? Rabbi Yaakov. It's Rabbi Yaakov. It says, Don't break any bones in Korban Pesach. The Tanakh Kama says, That means only a kosher Korban Pesach. Meaning if it's Pasul, there's no more rule of not breaking the bones. But Rabbi Yaakov He says that if it was good at one time, and the prohibition of breaking the bones comes into play, it doesn't leave just because now the Korban Pesach became Pasul. It stays. That's what Rabbi Yaakov says. Rabbi Shimon Omer, He says it doesn't matter. Once it becomes Pasul, there's no more prohibition of of breaking the bone, even if it uh, was never good. Right? I mean, even if it was good, it became bad. Right? It wouldn't matter. Right? He's reiterating the Tanakh. Why he has to reiterate is another story. We'll see. But now, there is an objection. So, so far, what are we saying? We're saying that according, that basically our Mishnah is following Rabbi Yaakov, who says that you're not allowed to break the bones of the Korban Pesach even after it's left over. And therefore, you can't extract the moch. So the issue is that really, the, really it's not the, that the bones became considered identified with what's inside of them. It's just that what's inside of them is no tabu because it's the, uh, it's the uh, marrow of the bone and it's considered like meat. And since you can't extract it because you're not allowed to break the bone, so therefore you have to burn the whole thing. That's, that's what we're saying so far. But now, maybe there is an objection to that. Because so it said any all of the kodashim, all of the bones of the of various kinds of korbanot do not require burning except for the bones of the korban pesach because people will come li, li takala, they're going to come to to the uh, bar, to, yeah. to, to what? 
Yeah, because they're going to end up partaking. It's talking about the leftover ones, right? So, uh, so and Rashi explains. Um, because what you do is you extract the moach and throw away the bones. In other words, you don't have to burn the bones. You extract whatever's inside and you throw away the bones. But the but it says chutz me'atzmot apesach she'en yachol leshovam te'takalat etzem lo tishbaruvo v'yichach risrofil odi amoch shemet. In other words, what you, since you're not allowed to break them and take out the uh, the the marrow, you you have to burn them all together with the with the bones of other uh, korbanot. You don't have to burn the bones; just take out the marrow that's inside that became notar from being left over, and you're okay. So it says hane atzmot hechitame. What kind of bones are we talking about here? So ilay madalet bumach. So obviously, if they have no marrow, so lama luus rofil odi have to burn it. Elap shitad the idbeimach. They have, they have the, uh, uh, the marrow. And if you're going to tell me, but from the mere fact, right, we're really objecting back to the original statement, not to what we just said. We're rejecting, we're going back to Rav Maria's statement before, right, in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak. That if you're telling me that the bones take on the identity of what's inside, am I in to onin soifa? So then, why shouldn't they require being burned? In other words, that's a good contradiction to what uh, Rav Marie said above, because he said before that you have to burn the bones, because once the bones carry the notar inside, doesn't matter if you extract it. Those bones took on the identity of the marrow. Here it's saying, no, you can extract the marrow, throw the bones, uh, you don't have to burn them, and just burn the marrow inside. So it's, it's a contradiction to what he said. So he'll say, I'm Av Nachman, Av Nachman, Bar Yitzchak will say, Achabemayeskinan, Kegon Shemitzan Chalutzin, Right, it's because you found them already broken. Rashi says that uh, it, it, that kulam atzamot chalutzin shvurin In other words, they took out all of the marrow already. You found them broken. Okay, so in that case, atzamot kodashim the end bench mishum shvurat haetzem. Right, so the uh, the uh, the fact that the the kodashim that are um, that the regular kodashim that there's no rule about breaking the bones enough to break it. So kameda havunotar chaltinu, right? Velo avushimush notar, velo baosrefa. In other words, he's saying I could defend Rav Maria. Rav Maria is right that if the bones actually did at any point contain the leftover korban, like the notar that became prohibited, the bones would become prohibited. The only thing is that since other korbanot, you're allowed to break the bones. Most likely, when they ate the meat of the korban, they broke it open and they ate the they they, they took the moach out before. It became notar, so those bones were never a problem because they were already they, they already had the marrow extracted from them. But when it comes to Pesach, however, the korban Pesach we know isn't allowed to be broken. Now, this is obviously not going like Rabbi Yaakov. Now, this is going like Rabbi Shimon's opinion before that what, they were only allowed to break the bones once it was already left over. Which means when did they break open the bones after? The Korban Pesach was already pasul, after it had already passed its deadline, when they were allowed to do it. And therefore, whatever marrow was inside was prohibited, at least for some time, and that made the bones prohibited too. Now, why they broke it afterwards, what was the point of breaking it afterwards, if in the end, anyway, they're, going to not, they're not allowed to eat what's inside? I don't know. But the point is that if they found the bones broken, the assumption is they did it after the deadline of the Korban Pesach, where that rule didn't apply anymore, according to this view. Okay. Uh, maybe, yeah, but but the question is, why do they have to burn the bones themselves? They have to burn the bones themselves because they didn't break them open 
until there it was already left over. It was already notar, and therefore the bones also became prohibited. But the right, the other kodashim. Right, it could be, yeah. The the, uh, the 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 other kodashim, since they broke them open while they, while it was still good, while it was still uh, kasher, they probably ate, ate the moach already. So you don't have to worry that the bones themselves became prohibited. Maybe they spilled out the the the, the uh, marrow afterwards to make it easier. I don't know. It could be the, for the korban pesach. I mean, even if they didn't eat it, maybe they spilled it out or whatever. But the point is that they must have done it after the korban pesach was pasul already, and therefore the bones became pasul as well. Now, that's how he answers it. Now, Rav Zavid Amar, he gives a different uh, concept, okay? That, uh, that, Kegon uh, Shemitza'an, uh, we turn to Amud Bed, you found them, you found them in piles, okay? Now, Rashi says, Badak Elyonim Vatsan Chalutin, the top layer of the pile is uh, they were broken open and the, of of these bones. Oh, so some of them mehen chalutzit, right? Atzamot. So if it's the bones, shel kodashim, dein bem mishum shvirat haetzem lechulu have chalitzlo vachilo v'lo ba'itzreifa. But atzamot haPesach teish behen mishum shvirat haetzem dil mahanit el chalutzinu lahanach lo chalutzinu uba'itzreifa. So it's a very interesting and odd. Answer and a lot of the mafreshim uh, jump on this and question, you know, question this answer from various angles. But basically, what he's saying is that it's an issue of chazaka. What kind of assumption can we make? If you see that the top layer of the bones was broken, so you say, well, that probably all the bones were broken and all of the marrow was extracted, and therefore, if it's the kodeshim, if it's regular kodeshim where you're supposed to break the bones or you're allowed to, and I see that the top layer was broken, probably all of the marrow containing bones were also broken and cleared out, and therefore, there's no concern here that the uh, that these bones uh, are a problem; that they contain notar. However, when it, so that Rashi says, "Lo mivdak tachtonim," you don't even have to look to see if there's any marrow in the bones underneath, because you just assume that since the ones on top were broken open and the and the food was taken out, so probably the you know the ones on top are the last people who uh, got to break bones and eat them. So they uh, you know and eat what was inside. However, with the pesach balatzmot pesach ba'ule mivdak kulo, Rashi says, you have to check all of them and keep going and see if they were all cleared out. And this is the machlok between Rav Zavid and Rav Nachman. In other words, if you find that they, you find these bones that were broken open, you don't have to assume. In other words, what kind of assumption can you make? Since we're already being strict and saying that bones that at one point contain notar, we have to consider the bones themselves to be prohibited. If we have reason to believe that these bones were probably all broken open and probably all of them were cleared out, uh, you know, of all of their marrow bef- before it became notar. We don't have to go all the way, dig all the way down and find out if there are any that were not. We could just assume that they were all fine and we don't have to worry about the bones, um, uh, you know, the, the bones themselves are not the concern and we just make an assumption. Whereas when the Korban Pesach, with regard to Korban Pesach, even though you saw that the top layer the bones were broken since you're not really allowed to break the bones so we can we might have a suspicion that the ones underneath are still intact and maybe they still contain marrow and therefore they still have to be burnt okay so that that's he's interpreting the case very differently than what we saw before but in any case he says all of the gidin all of the all of the sinews are considered flesh except for the ones in the neck those are very hard and they're not considered flesh we said that the meat and the sinews Sinews and the and the I'm sorry the, the bones and the sinews and the leftover meat have to be burnt on the 16th of Nisan. What kind of 
sinews we're talking about. If you're talking about the sinews that are in meat, that are very soft, so we can eat them. And if it's left over, it's the same thing as meat. Right? So, uh, so it, it's the, uh, it must be talking about the neck. So, if you're going to say that it's considered flesh, so that's why you have to burn it. So, basically, the question is like this. If they're considered meat, so then it's just the same thing as notar. Why do you have to even mention it? It's just part of the meat. So why, why are you mentioning it? And if you're telling me that it's not meat because the neck is, it has very thick sinews and they're very hard, so they're not meat, so then why is it being considered meat that you have to burn it? Right? You can't have it both ways. So, so what does it mean, gidim, there? What does it mean when it says sinews? A sinew is either edible or not. If it's not edible, then that means it's uh, not a food. It's not meat and it's not notar and why you have to burn it. And if it is edible, so it's, just, it's in the same category as notar. It's leftover meat. Whatever, you don't have to specify every part of the meat. Right? So therefore he says, Good answer, right? Gida nashe is in a middle position because it's edible, but it's not allowed to be eaten. Right? So now it, it opens up. So that's what it means. Gidin, he says. He's saying, it's according to Rabbi Yehuda. We learned about this actually when we learned Masachet um, Chulin. Right? According to Rabbi Yehuda, according to the Chachamim, both sides of the animal, the Gida Nashe is prohibited. According to Rabbi Yehuda, only one side and probably the right side. Right? Meaning it sounds like he wasn't sure which one. He said, the mind concludes that it's the right side, which either sounds like he's not sure or he is sure. We don't know. But we're not sure whether he's sure. But the point is that he said only one of them. So that would mean that there's one of the Gidin that is, pro- we know that it's prohibited. And since it's prohibited, it's not really considered part of the meat of the Pesach. But the other one would be a, uh, uh, would not be. So Rashi says, Since we don't know which one of the Gidim is really the prohibited one, so we don't need either one. But really, secretly, one of them is allowed to be eaten, according to Rabbi Yehuda, because one of them is okay. So therefore, we have to burn them because we don't know which one is which. Okay, the one that was prohibited anyway, we wouldn't have to burn it because it's not considered part of the meat. But the one that is allowed to be eaten would be considered part of the meat. The only thing is we don't know which one it is, so we have to burn them both. So then the question is, according to that, then you're admitting then, So you're admitting that Rabbi Yehuda wasn't sure himself. Which side of the Gid and is prohibited? Because the im if shat pshita le hahid hetera nechlei udisurei nishadye. Because if you're telling me that he knew which one, and he was saying that definitely the right side is the prohibited one, and definitely the left side isn't, because it's not clear in what he's saying whether he means I think it's the right one or it's definitely the right side. So if he really knew, so then throw out the one on the on the right side, right, and the left side you should eat it. Which one is right? Which is left? Huh? Which one is this is your right side. This is your left side. What do you mean? No, from his perspective. Um, his or her. Yeah. Depending on which kind of animal. But yeah. From, there, from the animal's perspective. Yeah, so, so therefore what? So, so that seems to say, because there's a discussion in Chulin whether he was sure or not sure. So you're saying he, was sure, he wasn't sure then because you're saying we don't know which one is which. It says no, not necessarily because could be that they knew which one it was but they got mixed together. So since they got mixed together you have to burn them. Fine. Forget about Rabbi Yehuda for a second who says one of the Gidea Nashe is actually permitted. There's also something called Shamnoshel Gid, the fat around the Gidea Nashe which is prohibited only because really the fat around the Gita Nasheh is permitted to eat, but, the ra- but we, we have a minhag, we don't eat it. It's like a dirabana. Okay, so therefore, Ravina, Marbachitzon. Okay, um, 
That's another thing, that, the, uh, that just like the fat of the gid, we say the fat of the gid really is not prohibited, but we have a minhag not to eat it. So therefore what? It would be cons- from the perspective of the Torah, it's considered meat and it's considered part of the Korban Pesach. But we're not allowed to eat it. So what's going to happen to that? It's going to be leftover. Or imagine, imagine if Ashkenazim that have a minhag, they don't eat certain parts of the rear, like the hindquarters of the animal. So what will they do when it comes to uh, Korban Pesach, right? I, maybe they, by then they'll admit that, you know, they'll learn and they'll, they'll give up that minhag. But I'm saying, you know, in the meantime, right? So what would they do? So they would, they would, um, they, they would say that, oh, that part, we, we're not allowed to eat it. But it is part of the Korban Pesach. Really, from the Torah, we know that you're allowed to and supposed to eat that part of it, but we don't eat it, right? So what will happen? It will end up being burnt. That's what he's, that, so he's saying the same thing. The fat of the Gid is something that we have a minhag, you know, became sort of a rabbinic rule that we don't eat it, but uh, really we could eat it, but we don't. So therefore we have to burn it, and that's what it means, Gidin. It means the parts that are only based on cust- customarily prohibited, or that there are two Gidin. There's one that is the inner thigh, part of the inner thigh, and there's one that's on the outer side. The one on the outside that only goes part, part of the way down, and that one is only rabbinically prohibited, and the other one is biblically prohibited. So the rabbinically prohibited one, from the perspective of that's why he's saying Amar Yudama Shmuel, that the rabbinically prohibited one, that gid would not would be considered meat of the Pesach from the perspective of the Torah, because there's no reason why you shouldn't eat it. But since the rabbi is prohibited, you can't. So therefore, you're going to have to burn it. So that's the gid that it's talking about there. And basically, what they're saying is, it's not that gidin. We're not deciding whether gidin are meat or they're not meat. Some gidin would be meat because they're soft and chewy, and some of them would not be considered meat because they're hard as a rock. But the, the point is, halachically, some gidim are permitted to eat biblically, but prohibited to eat rabbinically, or because of a safek or whatever reason. So, f- so practically speaking, they're left over, and that's what it's talking about. Now, let's just read the end part, I think, because we'll get to the next Mishnah quickly. So, what happens if the, uh, why do you have to wait until Cholam Oed to burn the Korban Pesach? The mitzvah say of burning the Korban Pesach should override the rule of Yom Tov. Why don't we just burn it in the morning? It says to burn it after it becomes, you know, if you leave it to the morning, burn it, right? Amar Chizkiyah v'chein taneid v'chizkiyah Chizkiyah said in his yeshiva as well Amar kalotum benad boga v'anotam benad boga v'etisovu The pat Pasuk says it twice. Don't leave it until the morning. It's talking about the Koban Pesach, and this is in Parshat Bo, actually, right? Don't leave it to the morning. And anything you leave until the morning... Burn it. So it says the word ad boker two times. Why does it say have to, two times? So it says she ain't amudomar ad boker. It doesn't have to say it two times, right? Matamudomar boker litelo boker sheinil esreifato. It says it twice to tell you that it's the second morning that you burn it on, not the morning of the uh, of of Yom Tov, but the following morning. Abaye amar amar kwa olat Shabbat b'Shabbatov v'lo olat chol b'Shabbat v'lo olat chol b'Yom Tov. Abaye says it says olat Shabbat b'Shabbatov. You can only burn on Shabbat or Yom Tov and offer that is relevant to that Shabbat or Yom Tov. You can't burn something that is a weekday thing on Shabbat or on Yom Tov. And since the Korban Pesach was brought on a weekday, because if the first day of, because we're assuming Erev Pesach was uh, a weekday, so uh, so therefore the Yom, you can't burn on the Yom Tov something that's really a korban of a week. They have to wait till Cholam Oed. Rav Amar Amar Kavu Hulevado Yaselechem Hu Velo Machshira Levado Velo Mila Shelo Bezmana Haba Mikal Vachomer. He says no. What it means? It says Hulevado Yaselechem. You're only allowed to do Melacha on uh, on um, on Yom Tov, which is something that is to add to your uh, you know to the Ochel Nefesh. Something 
that you're going to benefit from on the Yom Tov. But you're not. But just to do a melacha for another reason is not allowed. It says huvelo machshirav. You're not even allowed to do machshirin. You're not allowed to let's say, for, for example, construct an oven in order to cook or go harvest wheat in order to bake. Not everything is allowed. Things that were allowed that could have been done before the Yom Tov are supposed to be done before the Yom Tov. Velo bizmana. And even milashilo bizmana, even a brit milah that was delayed cannot be done on the first day of Yom Tov. Even though according to Shulchan Aruch you could do it on the second day of Yom Tov, but on the first day of Yom Tov for sure not. It doesn't override Yom Tov. Even though it's even though there's a kalvachomer to say that you should be able to. Why? Because it's very interesting kalvachomer. Because it says the avodah, right? The avodah of the Beit HaMikdash overrides Shabbat, right? Now the thing is, Tzara'at is overridden by Brit Milah. Right? Because you can, because if you have tzarat on the location of the Brit Milah, you're allowed to cut it off, even though you're not allowed to normally cut off tzarat. But if on this foreskin there was tzarat, you're allowed to cut it off. And tzarat overrides the avodah, because if a person has tzarat, they can't do the avodah. Even though the avodah itself overrides Shabbat. So therefore, if Brit Milah overrides tzarat, and tzarat overrides the avodah, and the avodah overrides Shabbat, then definitely a Brit Milah, even in the, not in the proper time, should override Shabbat. That's the, that's the logic that's brought elsewhere, not here in Masachat Shabbat, it's discussed. So it says, there, so, so it says, shouldn't we do that? And it says, no, we don't. We have a, we, we, we learn that only a Milah Bizmana, only a Milah in its proper time overrides Shabbat. But in any case, the point is that, uh, similarly, Gabay Sreifat Psul Kodashim. So when you're burning Kodashim, it's like a Milah Bizmana. It's like a Milah that's been delayed. Since you don't have to do it right now, you could do it later. You leave it for later. You don't break the Yom Tov in order to do it. And finally, last answer, Rav Amar, Shabbaton di Yom Tov, This is a, an answer that they give also uh, for violations of Shabbat. Why things that are uh, uh, that are mitzvat asay don't override Shabbat? The answer is because if Shabbat were a mitzvat asay alone or just a mitzvat lotase, maybe you can have an argument. But when you have a mitzvat asay vilotase, you can't, a mitzvah to say, it, we do say, that if you have a positive mitzvah, overrides a negative mitzvah. So for instance, a person wearing, let's say, kilaim betzitzit is a famous one. You know, a person could wear, tzara, uh, could wear uh, shatnez, if, if he's wearing a linen garment, he could wear the tzachelet string on the, uh, even though midrabanan didn't allow it because they were worried about he's going to wear it at night. But the, uh, but the point is that in theory could, it overrides the, the thing, or, or for the, ko, the kohen gadol to wear, tzara, uh, to wear shatnez, or even the regular kohanim, according to some, the head shatnez in their garments are allowed to wear it because positive mitzvah overrides a negative mitzvah or yibum positive mitzvah of yibum overrides a negative mitzvah of marrying your brother's wife and so on so there's ase dochelotase but we never say ase dochelotase on Shabbat why? because it's not just a negative commandment it's also a positive commandment of Shabbaton lishbot so since it's also a positive commandment you can't say you're positive I have two if it's just a positive versus a negative fine but where it's a positive versus a negative and also a positive why are you weighing one as greater than the other? So same thing on Yom Tov. There's a positive commandment to rest on Yom Tov and a negative commandment not to do Mlacha. So we can't do a, to do a positive mitzvah override the positive and negative mitzvah of Yom Tov. Okay, and there's actually a very interesting, there's a Ramban on this, why and uh, a lot of the Rishonim talk about it. They say because really serving Hashem is mainly in the positive. It's mainly in what you do, not what you don't do. You know, so that's why because that's really how you come close to Hashem like the positive things that you do. But when so since but since Shabbat is both a positive and also a negative, so you can't override it with a mitzvah the same. That's interesting.